Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to the Talon Finn Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Yakas for all your fine quality kayak fishing accessories. Go to yakgadgets.com. Pelican cases, coolers, and lighters. Go to pelican.com. And 153 Bait Company for all your hard and soft bait needs. Go to the 153anglers.com. So join with me as together we dive into the tips and techniques that will help make us better anglers out on the water. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I am your host, Sean Lavery. Thank you again for joining me this evening. Um, well, tonight we're continuing on on our kind of back to the basics uh, series that I've been kind of working on. And tonight uh, uh, I was looking for a guest to talk uh, about uh, fishing line because um, that can definitely make or break uh, the techniques that uh, you're trying to learn. Uh, so I wanted to have uh, a guest on, and I happened to uh, come upon, upon uh, Tim Moore when I was uh, doing some research, and I found an article that he had written uh, about line choice, and I reached out to him, and uh, he was gracious enough to uh, come on tonight with us. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mr. Tim Moore. Welcome to the new show, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, Sean. No problem, man. Um, so uh, for any of the folks that who uh, aren't familiar with you, why don't you just uh, tell them who you are, uh, where you're from, and uh, kind of uh, your background in fishing, because it is pretty extensive. Sure. Uh, my name is Tim Moore. I am a full-time fishing guide in New Hampshire. I currently live in Barrington, New Hampshire. Uh, I grew up on the coast in Portland, New Hampshire, so I'm a, kind of a saltwater guy at heart, but have uh, migrated inland um, half my time inland and half my time on the salt these days. Um, and um, what got you into fishing or you've been fishing kind of your whole life? Yeah, it's just something, you know, we did. My dad fished. Um, so my family, uh, my dad's side of the family came to settle in Portsmouth. They came here from the Azores. And so fishing has just always been in the family. And I tell people I'm Portuguese and they're just like, you know, like <laughs> Portuguese. And uh, so I get a good laugh, especially I have some of my Portuguese friends. And um, yeah, so it's fishing has just been something we did. You know, I, my grandmother actually raised me. My dad was always around, you know, so he would, you know, we spent weekends together hunting and fishing. And when I wasn't with him, um, she, you know, my grandmother, she knew how to fish, you know, a little bit growing up on the wharf, you know, she was, uh, her nickname was Blinks, which when she was a kid, which is a baby lobster. Cause she spent okay. so much time on her father's lobster boat. Wow. So, That's cool. Yeah. So the ocean and fishing has, has been in my family for quite a long time. That's pretty neat. Um, what kind of, uh, fishing do you guide for? Like, uh, what types of fish are you targeting? Uh, so I guide in, in kayaks. I'm a member of the Old Town Pro Staff, so I guide in, in Old Town kayaks for stripers, and I do some smallmouth bass, bass trips. I live on a small lake uh, in Barrington, New Hampshire, that has no public access, so it has you know relatively decent, you know, giant smallmouth. But you know, I've I've um, talked to a neighbor that caught a six pounder. Okay, uh, but it's a pretty small. I don't remember how many acres it is. It's pretty small. Um, you know, some, some lakes uh, call it, it's called Nippo. Some, some lakes call it Nippo Lake and some uh, maps call it Nippo Pond. So it really is just a more of a big pond. Okay. Uh, and there's some large mouth in there too. So I do some um, guiding there. I've done some 
some guiding in kayaks um, and fishing for smallmouth up on Squam Lake, which if nobody's familiar with Squam Lake, the 1981 movie, I think it was, on Golden Pond, was filmed on Squam Lake in New Hampshire. So Interesting. A lot of history up there, but it's a good smallmouth lake. And then I guide in my boat for um, lake trout and salmon and crappies. Cool. And I, I think you mentioned, mentioned um, that uh, while we were talking prior to starting the recording that uh, your seasons are starting to wind down a little bit, I guess, um, for this year. Uh, maybe have about a month left for some of the things. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, the striper fall run still going on. I don't. I don't usually guide for striped bass and kayaks um, in the month of September only because September is really good um, salmon trolling and lake trout jigging. It's just, it's just a phenomenal month for jigging lake trout on Winnipesaukee. And that's what I spend the bulk of my time. Most of my clients you know, want to go up there and it's just really hard. I'll spend, you know, 10 days on Winnipesaukee and somebody wants to go fish for stripers. And I'm like, geez, I haven't fished in 10 days. You know, so it doesn't seem fair. So I stopped a couple of years ago. I stopped guiding for stripers in September, but there are still some fish around. It's been a tough season with all the rain. Uh, we've had a ton of rain here in New England. July was, I think, one of the wettest Julys on record uh, in August. And it, that went well into August. Lake Winnipesaukee is, is 45,000 acres. And generally, uh, mid-August, we see about an average 15-inch low. It's 504 feet above sea level. And so that's, okay. considered, that's considered full and we're usually about 15 inches below that, which is pretty typical for August between, you know, the, the dam there's, there's a dam that only raised a level five feet, but it's a hydro dam. So they'll release water to generate power and the lack of rain just from normal summers. We're about 15 inches low. And this year, mid August, we were five inches high. Okay. Wow. And that so, makes- yeah, the area that I guys represent is in the, Piscataqua River, which is right at the entrance to Great Bay. And for those that are not familiar, Great Bay is the second largest inland estuary on the East Coast. It's 10 miles inland of the Atlantic Ocean, but it's 6,500 acres. Wow. Empties and fills twice a day, every day. And there are six major freshwater rivers that dump in there, though. So every time we get a lot of rain, two days later, it's just dumps in there and washes all the big fish out. And it literally looked like the color of root beer all summer. It's just such a tough season that, you know, it's feel bad you know taking money from clients when i know that the fishing is going to suck yeah that i, I mean i'm sure yeah it puts a hurting on your business too i'm sure uh, it's hard to get repeat customers when um but i'm sure when you they they got to understand too um that it's been a year probably unlike many others so yeah. when i tell people that i don't suggest it i tell you know people inquire <clears> and if i don't recommend it i'll just tell them i don't recommend it you know, just because the fishing has been off and I'll take you if you really want to go, but I'm just being honest, it's going to be tough. And they're usually pretty grateful and they'll reschedule for the next year. They'll say, you know, what, what month should I go? And I usually tell people June is a really good month. Okay. Typically, as long as we don't get a lot of rain, it's when the fish first show up and they're hungry and they're new and there's a lot more new fish coming all the time. So now when you say um, that it, it fills and empties twice a day, is, is that considered tidal fishing then or? Okay. It is. Sometime yep. I'm going to have to have you back on to talk about that too, because that's one thing I've always wanted to understand and never had a really good explanation of uh, is fishing tidal waters like that. I mean, I've uh, fished it a little bit like up and down the coast, like North Carolina and um, uh, Maryland, Delaware, when we go on vacation, but I wouldn't say I have really any great grasp of when I should be going and when I shouldn't. And I know there's a lot to it. So. Yeah, and it varies depending on, you know, what part of the country you're in. You know, being as north as we are, we see tidal swings as six to eight foot tidal swings. You know, so it'll be, you know, eight feet deeper at high tide than it was at low tide. You know, you fish Florida and they get like a 15-inch tide. Right. There's a, a big tide. And, you know, closer to get to the equator, the, the smaller the tides are. So, I remember uh, on my honeymoon, I went to the uh, Bay of Fundy in, uh, in Canada. And... Uh-huh. Uh, I forget what the tidal swing was, but all I know is when I got off the cruise ship, I walked down the plank, and when I got back on, I walked up the stairs. It was yeah, it was huge. Yeah, there are places like Alaska that see like twelve foot tides too. Really yeah, tides like the further away from you get the, from the equator, the the bigger your tides are going to be. Crazy, yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, um, 
like like I said when I introduced you, I, I kind of came across you when I was uh, researching the the topic of fishing lines, um, and I found an article that you had written for a publication. I can't remember off the top of my head what that publication was, but uh, uh, my uh, Facebook stalked you a little bit, and I was like, hey, I'm going to shoot him a message and see if he'd be willing to come on to talk about fishing lines. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, full disclosure, you know, I don't consider myself a bass fishing expert. I do guide for bass, so I guess I, I should consider myself a little bit of an expert. But, um, you know, we keep I keep it simple, and I, I, I offer guided bass fishing trips when bass fishing is the easiest, you know, in May and June. Okay. Um, but, you know, I and I, we, I do, you know, we do well, catch a lot of fish, and I do know a little bit, but I fish with some of my friends that fish tournaments and stuff and they'll be switching out. They'll have specific rods and specific lines for specific baits. And I don't get quite that fancy, but fish the line, you know, I, I may have even mentioned in that article cause it's, it's kind of held true for me over the years. Your line is your only connection to the fish. Right. You can have, you know, you can have a $700 spinning rod. And if you have an eight pound smallie attached to the other end of that line with you know, a two dollar spool of line, you're gonna get what you pay for. So, <laughs> a broken heart, probably. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, no. So that yeah, um, that's fine. Because uh, I'm sure you know, line choice has to pay. Uh, you know, is important in all types of fishing, whether it's salmon or you know that kind of thing too. So, um, I guess just to get started, um, I know in the article you talked about you know the main different kinds of line choices. Um, so we'll say, um, we'll start off with, I guess, would you start off with mono? Would you say that's the most kind of common for the beginner? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, you go buy a pre-spooled rod combo at, you know, Walmart or your local tackle shop. And it's going to have, most of the time it's going to have factory spooled will be mono. And that's what most people buy. It's what most people learn on. It's, it's easy. It's in effect, inexpensive and, and, and effective, but uh, certainly has its drawbacks, you know, when you're fishing certain things. And one of the most, or two of the most important things that I usually tell people of monofilament is that it stretches more than any other fishing line and it absorbs water over time. So it will actually begin to sink the longer you fish with it. So if you're fishing top water over time, you know, that monofilament could, will, will tend to sink um, and could pull your, pull your lures down a little bit. Interesting. Interesting. I, I think, I mean, I've, I've heard about using mono for top water um, um, for the reason that it floats. And it's interesting to hear that, uh, that it does absorb water over time. I don't think I knew that. Um, I always assumed that it would pretty much float the whole time or most of the time. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, just a stretch factor. Um, you know, growing up on the salt, uh, <laughs> being deep sea fishing with my dad, you know, he, his, a lot of his friends fished straight 50 pound monofilament on their cod fishing setups. And he would fish Dacron with about a, which is just a braid, you know, heavy braid. Okay. He fits like 80 pound Dacron with a 50 pound monofilament leader. And he would catch, he'd outfish all of his buddies on the boat. And so one day he tied a, they tied a, a 16 ounce Norwegian jig onto one of the, one of the rods with monofilament on it. And at 180 feet, they measured 22 inches of stretch or 20 inches of stretch before that lure even started to move. That's crazy. 180 feet of monofil 50 pound monofilament, you know, versus, you know, Dacron or, you know, now we use a lot of braid lines, a mm -hmm. um, little more high tech braid with no stretch. So that's one of the huge advantages to monofilament or braid versus monofilament. But better sensitivity and no stretch isn't always the best thing. Sometimes you need a shock absorber. You know, when I fish for crappies in the fall, I fish, I fish monofilament because we want that stretch. We fish light line and their mouths are so thin and so sensitive that if you fish braid with a leader, fluorocarbon leader, there's almost no stretch there. And, and you'll, you have to really be careful. And especially with clients that don't fish a lot, monofilament is the key to, um, to, hookup success and keeping those fish on because it offers some stretch and some shock absorption and same thing with trolling uh, my downrigger rods i know a lot of people run straight braid they like the sensitivity of the braid i like the shock absorption you know we're running two and a half miles an hour two to two and a half most of the time pulling lures when a fish hits those and that i run the 12 pound monofilament 
on my main line. Then I run a 50 feet of fluorocarbon and that, that main line will act as a little bit of a shock absorber too. And it's preference, you know, like I said, a lot of people prefer braid and maybe it's what they learned on. Maybe it's, they had, you know, a good day and it's like, like a, any lure you gain confidence in it. And that's what a lot of people will tend to stick with. But those are the things to remember with, with monofilament is do you want stretch or no stretch? And when I say absorbed water, it, they, it does take quite a while for them to absorb water. And I don't think most, most bass anglers don't experience that because they switch rods so often, <laughs> you know, that their line, everything has a chance to kind of dry out a little bit and nothing really gets too waterlogged. But yeah, that is something to remember if you're, if you're fishing, you know, if, if all you do is fish top water, you might want to stick with something that floats a little better. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Right. So uh, pros for mono would be it's cheap. Um, yep. And um, I guess uh, line stretch if you want it. Um, so like you said, there's some baits depending on like, I know I've heard potentially um, treble hook baits, you know, it, it will let the, let you have a little bit more play and allow the fish to, you know, fight a little bit, you know, maybe wear them down a little bit more than, you know, just, it depends, I guess, if you're if you have a moderate action rod that's going to allow you to fight a little bit too. Uh, without, uh, but if you have like a broomstick rod, then you, you might want a little bit of line with some stretch in it. But but definitely yep. the downsides are again that it stretches, and uh, like you said, I guess uh, after some time that it will absorb water and and lose that floating ability. So yeah, and it's also another uh, con with monofilament is that the refractive index is it does bend light that's why most people go to fluorocarbon it's less stretch but most people will, will choose fluorocarbon uh, because it has almost the same refractive index so monofilament will bend light okay uh, whereas fluoro has this almost the same refractive index as water i should say so it doesn't bend light so it, it's almost invisible to fish so you know when a like when like when a pasaki i don't know very many fi- people that fish monofilament because the water's crystal clear and okay. there's, there's a ton of, of light penetration in that water and monofilament does refract, does bend light. So it tends to show up more to those, okay. you know, fish that are highly pressured and they get line shy. Most people will fish either straight fluoro or braid with a fluorocarbon leader to avoid the, the you know, the visibility of fluor- of uh, monofilament. Okay. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that, that, uh, if you're looking for or fishing in crystal clear water, you almost are forced to go to fluorocarbon at that point, or at least a fluoroliter because, uh, um, yeah, definitely fish are going to be a little more line sensitive at that point. Whereas down here in PA where I am, most of our water isn't super clear. Uh, especially right now with all the rain and stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, our water clarity is just finally starting to come back a little bit. Uh, I fished the Susquehanna river. It's about 15 minutes from my house. And, uh, you know, normally this time of summer, it is pretty crystal clear, but right now with, you know, the hurricane rains and the flooding and everything that we've had recently, it's just now getting relatively back to some level of clarity. Um, but definitely not clear yet. Uh, I was out yesterday and I think I had maybe two foot of visibility max. So, which, you know, normally I can usually see at least five feet, uh, most of the time, but so, uh, all right. So that's mono. Um, we, we talked about flora a little bit, so I guess that might be a good next step. Um, so pros and cons of fluoro. Um, well, pros are the visibility or lack of for fish. You know, like I said, it has this almost the exact same refractive index as water. So it, it basically virtually disappears in water, especially to fish. Uh, it has less stretch than mono, so if you're looking for sensitivity and you don't want to run braid, uh, fluorocarbon is certainly a good option. It does sink, um, so, you know, depending on, on what you want it to do, um, you know, how you're going to fish it, you may not 
want to fish it. That's why I think a lot of people will fish um, braid to fluoro if they need um, they need to um, hide their line a little bit from those you know from line shy fish. They'll they'll run braid to to uh, fluoro cons. I would say. Um, well, it pro is it's pretty most of most fluorocarbon is pretty abrasion resistance resistant. But once you do get a nick or a fray or a hot spot in it, it's almost sure to break when you put put it under pressure. Like any, you know, you you'll see me. My clients will will ask me after a while if of vertical jig and lake trout. Every fish that comes in before I drop their lure back in the water for them, I take my hand and I run it down the leader to the lure you know, 18 inches or so and just feel it because they'll, the lake trout will twist up and they'll get the line will wrap around their face and through their mouth and they'll nick that fluorocarbon. If there's any nick in there, I just break it. I just cut it right off and retie, you know, and they're always like, what, what are you, what are you doing? It wasn't broken. And I'm like, yeah, I had a little tiny nick I could feel in it. And it's, you know, your line's never going to break on a, on a two pound fish. It's always going to break on a 10 pound. <laughs> you need every bit of the line's capability. So it's, if you get do get a nick or a fray in fluorocarbon, you know, it, it's it's more expensive. So I think people will tend to try to push their luck a little bit because they don't want to. And it's also, you know, depending on what knot you use, it's a, it can be a pain in the neck to tie that leader to braid connection. And so a lot of people, if they haven't got a, a knot down really well, then they'll, they might resist retying. But if it gets a fray or a nick or even a hot spot, you know, and one of the keys with tying knots in fluorocarbon is to wet it. You know, a little bit of saliva. I've heard of some people carrying chapstick. I've, I read a lot. I've read more about it than I've ever seen it. I don't, I don't see anybody that actually uses chapstick to lubricate their knots. Most people just, you know, put a little saliva on it and slide the knot down. But it's definitely, I mean, you take a fluorocarbon knot and cinch that thing tight without any lubrication and then give it a good yank. It's going to snap almost every single time. Just so the heat, that the friction of tightening that knot down will weaken the fluorocarbon. It does get weak pretty fast and... I do a lot of vertical jigging, so or striper fishing in around the rocks and smallmouth fishing in around the rocks. And I go through a ton of leader material in the spring when I run smallmouth trips because they're right in the rocks. You know, right. and if they're not, and if they're not, they take you right into the rocks. And we go through a pile. And there's rock bass, which do a number on it. They they're always running the leader around down, you know, running your lure around in the rocks down there and fraying up leaders. And, so. I, uh, it's definitely something I've, I've had to learn the hard way over the years. Cause I, um, not so much that I would, didn't know how to tie the knots, but I was just lazy. I would even, I'd run my hand up and down. I'm like, ah, that doesn't feel too bad. And I'd end up paying for it. Um, so, uh, they're definitely something I, I kind of learned, um, uh, you know, relatively quickly was that, uh, if you have any question or doubt about, uh, a nick you should retie uh, cut and retie because uh, yeah you're gonna pay for it eventually if you don't um, but uh, one thing I was wondering about uh, that I'd heard and kind of experienced a little bit was line memory uh, would you say fluoro is better or worse than mono uh, with line memory um, it's come a long way you know traditionally I think the the idea the impression was that it had more memory than monofilament. Um, I think a lot of the a lot of the fluorocarbons that are available today, they've come so far with them that they have a lot less memory. They're softer than they've ever been. I mean, you know, I use the Daiwa J fluoro, and I've had such amazing luck with that stuff. That, you know, it'll have a little bit of memory, and within you know, the first couple of minutes of fishing it, it's the loops are all gone and the memory, you know, comes right out of it. So, you know, you can, you get what's paid for. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, when you said there's lots of different types out there, I, I wholeheartedly agree that you definitely get what you pay for. And, uh, I've, I've tried lots of different kinds now and, and the cheaper stuff definitely does tend to have a little bit more memory. And, um, but if you buy, you know, anywhere, from moderate to expensive uh, fluoro, uh, I don't think uh, line memory is a problem so much anymore. Um, especially like I use mostly mostly fluorocarbon for fluorocarbon for leader material, and at that point, it's such a short uh, distance of it. Like I usually do uh, double my rod length is usually my leader yeah. length, um, uh, and then I kind of as I cut and retie, I you know 
whittle it down until I get, if I get to start getting down to around like four to five feet, I'll just cut it off and retie a new double rod length on. Yep. Same here. Cool. All right. So uh, for fluorocarbon pros are that it sinks, which I was going to talk about, like uh, if you're throwing crankbaits or stuff, uh, I've heard like Kevin Van Dam saying, uh, you know, fluorocarbon's best for that kind of thing because it'll allow you to get the maximum depth out of your crankbaits and, and stuff like that. Um, I've never run straight fluoro before, um, uh, uh, more for budget-wise than anything else, but uh, um, I, 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 I'm curious to try it, and I probably will at some point on my crankbait rod just to see uh, what the difference is. Um, right now, I still run braid to leader even on my crankbait rod, so... Um, I just tend to maybe make the leader length a little bit longer on that uh, just to make casting a little easier. Yep. Same here. I don't, the only rods that, so I run pretty much exclusively run braid to the floral leader on everything except my ice fishing rods and the, my fall crappy fishing rods, which are ultralights with, you know, just like, I think I have six pound monofilament on those. So like I said, I want that little bit of stretch. Um, and the, the area where I crappie fish is of Lake Winnipesaukee is, is actually a little bit more stained. So we don't have to worry about line clarity as much. And are you mostly vertical fishing for crappie at that point? Or are you? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause I, I think when you take kind of the casting out of it, you know, then you really, there's some things that you aren't as worried about, uh, if you don't have to worry about casting distance and stuff like that. So. Yep. Yeah. I, I just, I really like the sensitivity of braid. Uh, you know, I'm kind of the black sheep in my, in my fishing circle. Cause I don't fly fish. I, okay. I don't even know how much I dislike it. And <laughs> the reason I dislike it, I actually had a client say this and it. I, you know, I've, I've tried to explain to people what, I don't like it and I've never really been able to come up with a, a way that best describes it. But the thing I like most about fishing is that connection to the fish, feeling the bite, setting the hook, feeling every, you know, I mean, I was jigging Lake Trout this morning in 130 feet of water and you could literally feel it when my, when my lure would, I would drop down and it would bounce off the top of a fish. Cause they're just, they're stacked right now. There's hundreds of fish down underneath you, you know, every day. And, literally feel it bouncing off the top of these fish as it, as it goes down through them the difference between like that was a bite and oh, that was just bounced off of one like that's why i like braid you know and that's that's so i fish it i like that connection you know it's just a preference thing for me it, it makes fishing more fun so almost almost everything i do is is braid to floral leader except like i said ice fishing uh, i run mono on my ice fishing rods we're in 30 feet or less and then in for crappie and through the ice and uh and then for crappies you know monofilament but interesting it's just so me. when you i've never caught a fish on a fly rod i've i've went to casting demonstrations and stuff and casted them so what's different about fly fishing then you you generally don't feel the bite you're just watching for line movement or i, think, how, I mean i i'm i'm not I, by no means i think i fly fish three three times i've had three friends try to teach me because they all believe that it was just i didn't have the right teacher so they try it and they usually send me for my spinning rod within like 30 minutes <laughs> one of them the last time he said he was just standing there staring at me and i said what we've been fishing for like 30 minutes and he said you look miserable number one and number two you haven't had a fly on the end of your line for like 20 minutes <laughs> he's like that that cracking noise that you hear when you're back cast it's not supposed to happen and you whip the fly right off so <laughs> um, I, from what I gather and what they try to teach me is there is a lot of sight to it. You're watching your line, you're watching your rod tip. Um, you're watching the fly, you're watching the water, reading the water. I mean, it's definitely, don't get me wrong. I don't take anything away from the art, you know, and the skill level involved in fly fishing. It is, you know, it's, it's mastery. You know, it's definitely, there's something to be said. You can't take anything away from a, a skilled fly fisherman or someone that loves it to begin with, but um, it's just not for me. I, right. you know, I love to feel the bite. It's sort of like uh, I'm a hunter and I turkey hunt and people ask me why I don't bow hunt for turkeys, you know, because I'm known for, I used to guide for turkeys and I'm known for putting my decoys like 25 yards in front of my blind and people are like 25 yards. 
you're going to reach 50, 60 yards. I'm like, yeah, I like it when they're in close. And they're like, why don't you bow hunt for them? And I said, because I like shooting them. You know, it's, mm-hmm. sort of, it's like setting the hook on a fish for me. You know, setting the hook on a fish is, is you know, the same thing as pulling the trigger on a turkey. It's just that excitement level. Every single time I do it, it just never gets old. Right. No, I, I feel you there. Uh, I've, I've hunted for turkey a few times, uh, never successfully. So um, I've had, you know, just the rush of hearing one gobble relatively close by um but um but no i i mean you like what you like and i like like you said it's not to take anything away from fly fishermen i it's something i will try eventually um i just don't have the time to devote to you know i'm i have enough trouble mastering regular fishing at this point so i don't need to up the degree of difficulty yet um (laughs) i uh like i said sometime you know i it's definitely something i want to try but at this point uh, i'm not quite there yet so no yeah. no hard feelings i don't think so so cool i guess uh so we talked about mono we talked about floral um we've kind of been going back and forth about braid but you know so benefits of braid um we talked about increased sensitivity um no stretch zero stretch so you know and i and that's why uh i've heard it it's good for uh pitching and flipping uh that kind of thing um what other techniques uh you don't do, generally do spray, straight braid on anything, right? You're braid to flora. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911, and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I am. Um, I do know some Winnipesaukee anglers, even in that clear water that runs straight braid, depending on on what they're fishing. Um, My rods are pretty much always going to already have um, fluorocarbon leader on them. Mm -hmm. And I go through so much fluoro that there is a point that, you know, I'm like, I can't throw another 10 foot of fluorocarbon away just to run straight braid on this lure. We're going to run fluorocarbon leaders, you know, and as long as clients are catching fish, I don't, I don't give it too much more thought than that. And I don't fish tournaments. So there aren't tens of thousands of dollars at stake or hundreds of dollars at stake. You know, it's my clients and they want to catch fish. And as long as we're putting them on fish, I try not to overthink it, you know, too, too much, but. Uh, another advantage is definitely castability of braid. Absolutely. Um, question for you: What color braid do you use? Uh, I'm wondering. I'm curious about what color braid people would use in clear water. Uh, like, I know for me, I generally on like my spinning rods and stuff. If I have a long enough leader, I will use the high vis stuff just so I can see my line a little bit yep. better. Um, but I've seen a lot of people around here that use the like moss green stuff and uh, you know, the, the darker colors as well. Yeah. I think that moss green is just common. You know, when power pro first came out, it was green, mm. you know, and most of the power pros are, are green and there's some colors that have been added to it now, but um, you know, I tell my clients, the fluorocarbon is for the fish, the braid is for the fishermen. And so I run that, I run uh, Daiwa J braid X eight grand. I love that line and I run the gray cause I can see it. Um, you know, the inside of my, um, my personal, uh, PDL is gray, dark gray. So I can see that light gray against it. So I can tie knots. I'm, I turned 49 this year. So, uh, my eye doctors said, you're going to need readers pretty soon someday. I wear contacts, you know, yep. most of the time. And so you might want to get some readers, you know, for tying fishing knots and stuff. And, I was like, I don't know about that, but um, that, so, you know, I do like, I like that gray. I can see it in the water. Um, and it's just, it's, it's different for me. So it, it stands out. So I've been fishing that light gray J braid, but they make it in, uh, I think they have it in a green. I can't remember what colors, blue. I've seen some blue braid. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm starting to gravitate more towards high vis colors just because I can, I can see them. Um, I, but you know, so with my knots, my, you know, leader to braid knots, I don't really need to be able to see my line as much as I do like with, um, like monofilament, you know, I've gone to more like golds and yellows and monofilament so that I can see them. Cause it's getting harder, especially ice fishing. You know, I fish a lot of like three pound test line and 
when your hands are cold and the wind's blowing and it's, you got a white background from the ice, it's tough to see three pound test line. It's tough for me too. I can't see it like I used to. Right. No, I'm so, in the same boat. I'm, I'm 44, but uh, the doctor, eye doctor has also said I'm wearing contacts right now. And she was saying, you know, readers might not be too far away. I think my, uh, the power on my right eye contact is about as high as it can go. She's like, you're not going to get much higher. So if your prescription gets much worse, you might be, uh, uh, either doing one of those hybrid contacts with like the built-in bifocals or something, but uh, I have yeah. yet to cross that bridge. But uh, it's it's probably relatively close in my near future. So I uh, yeah. definitely hear you there. So um, in bringing that up, though, it's a good point that uh, one of the another benefit of braid is the uh, diameter is smaller than um, fluoro. You get the same strength or more for relatively less diameter. Uh, line diameter so you can fit more on your spool um like you said castability is good uh we talked about no stretch um braid floats uh i think for the most part right yeah until the air comes out of it okay yep depending on the braid okay you know, when, we, when we um so we've i do a lot of vertical jigging for lake trout right now this in september <clears throat> and when you drop down for the first time the, you could we could see our jigs on the on the fish finder. I use spot lock in my boat or in my kayak. I have I have an autopilot with spot lock, and you'll nice. see all the all the bubbles coming off of your braid when you first drop it down there. Wow. So, okay. You know, once the air comes out of, but that's you know hundred feet down. Okay. Okay. I've never actually heard that. That's interesting. I've always just assumed that it's wet, and you know, but that makes sense. And it's cool. Yeah, so, that's cool. You can actually see that on your fish finder. That's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. It'll uh, it, sometimes it'll it'll attract fish too. Those bubbles coming off that braid. It'll come in to see what what's going on. But like I said, that's deep water. There's a lot of pressure down there, so that'll push <clears> that water into the braid, push the air out. Okay. And you know, in shallower water, when we're casting for bass and stuff, it does it does tend to float. Okay. Cool. Um, so I, I know some people, at least around here, I've heard, um, I've talked to quite a few people and some people for topwater actually prefer braid over, uh, anything else. Um, I still tend to do braid to a lower or leader. Sometimes on topwater, I'll do mono, uh, just for mm -hmm. the floating, at least a little bit more floating than fluorocarbon. Um, but I usually don't do uh, a couple of guys I talked to are like, oh, you should do straight braid for topwater. And every time I do that, if I'm working like a, a walking bait, I always get the line wrapped around the hooks. Almost every time when I'm walking the dog, I, I don't know if it's bad technique or what, but I almost always end up, uh, you know, getting the braid all wrapped around my hooks. And yep. uh, so that's why I've kind of stuck to uh, even on my topwater stuff using a at least a mono or, or sometimes even a fluorocarbon leader, depending on what I'm throwing, if I just tied it on one of my regular rods and don't have a top water specific rod out with me. Yep. Yeah. Same with me. Um, that, I, you know, one of the things that I like about, so most of my, most of my spinning reels will have, um, 30 pound braid on them. And I can, that way I can just change out my leaders and I can, you know, I can fish for stripers with those. I can fish for bass with those rods. I can fish for vertical jig for lake trout and just adjust my leaders accordingly. That's why I was saying, you know, earlier, like, I don't, I, you know, sometimes I get into a situation where I was striper fishing yesterday with, you know, 20 pound fluorocarbon leaders. And then today I'm fishing for bass or lake trout with eight pound. And I've got to throw those 20 because, you know, yeah, you know, if I was, uh, if I had more time and patience and discipline, I could find a way to save those leaders and wrap them around a pool noodle or something to reuse them later on. But that's, you know, wishful thinking. I don't, I coil them up. And then I forget about them and then I find them and they've been sitting in the sun or they're just, you know, don't look usable or they've been coiled so tight for so long and now in the sun, in the heat, you know, I've left my tackle box in my truck or in my boat in the sun and, and, and I don't. So, um, I, I, I will change out leaders quite a bit, but I like the fact that, you know, I can go, you know, the, I think the, the thinnest leaders that I run are eight pounds which are about the same diameter as 30 pound braid. So it, it goes up from there. If I'm fishing 12 pound leaders, I get a little bit of that stiffness that definitely, especially even vertical jigging prevents a lot of foul hooking and casting, 
top water for stripers. We do a lot of top water for stripers and smallies and suspended jerk baits and sometimes even just cat while they cast. You know, they'll if you don't if you don't lob them just right, they'll you know I'll get excited and try to whip one out there as fast as I can, and next thing you know, it's it's you know it's tumbling through the air and it's got line wrapped around it. And I think the stiffer, you know, fluorocarbon leader helps prevent that. Definitely, definitely. Um, all right. So um, the only other line that I have regularly heard of is copolymer. Have you ever had much uh, experience with that? I I fished uh, copolymers <clears throat> through the ice for a number of years. Um, up until so Clam Outdoors is one of my is my main ice fishing sponsor. And two years ago, they came out. They went to Sunline and had Sunline make a, a whole line of monofilaments, fluorocarbons. Uh, but before that, I fished, um, well, I can't remember the name of the line. It's a, it was a copolymer, and I really liked it. And I might, hang on one sec, I might have a spool of it right here left over. Okay. Yep. Uh, I fished P-Line, Fluoro Ice. It's a copolymer. I was just going to say, uh, Brian, uh, one of the other... Uh, kind of the OG uh, of the paddle and fin crew. Um, he fishes a lot of P-Line, and I know he, he likes it a lot. Uh, I tried it based off of his uh, suggestion, and I didn't like it as much. Um, I thought it had a little bit more stretch than I really wanted, and um, I, I probably didn't give it its due uh, time. Um, I, lost, I, uh, just, I think I tried it on a wacky rig or something, and just I could feel just – because I was so used to throwing a fluoro leader um, and I was throwing the, the P line as my leader and I could tell a difference in the, in the stretch um, just retrieving it. I, uh, I didn't feel like the, it was the same sensitivity that I had with my fluorocarbon. So I bailed on it pretty quick, but um, I definitely know a lot of people who, who do like it, like Brian, he uses a ton of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. My only experience with it is through the ice and, I good luck with it, you know, for the years that I used it. Um, that sun line is a really good line, so I've been using that the last couple of years. I um, was happy that they went with it. And it's. I also ran into a, a situation where um, it wasn't IGFA rated. So I actually I caught a, a line class world record white perch through the ice with the P line, and it. I sent a section of the line in. Um, I'll hold my hands up. You can't see them, but I sent the section of the line and like you have to, to register that, that record. And when they tested it, it broke higher than it was rated for. Yeah. Um, and so the, the sun line that I use now is IGFA rated. So regardless of, you know, diameter or whatever, it's all, it's all tested out and to, to break. So that's one of the reasons that I got away from, with it because with IGFA, if you register, like mine was a four, was the four pound class line test, I believe. And if it, if your line tests out higher, then they automatically enter you into the next category. But for me, the five pound fish was heavier um, or the next category up, whatever it was, I can't remember was heavier. So I, I missed that record. Gotcha. That stinks. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think I ever heard about that part of, uh, you know, the record process. Is that something that's New Hampshire specific or? No, that's IGFA regulations. So okay. if you submit a, a line class, uh, record to them you have to submit a section of the tippet or a leader okay but you actually have to submit the lure with i think it's two feet of line still attached to the lure interesting and then they they test it to see make sure it breaks to if you're entering it in a line class category so i was in the four pound class category i, I believe is what it was and it broke higher than four pounds so i got you so that's more in in a line class uh record then that makes sense yeah you would if you're you know obviously if it's a four pound line class then you want to make sure that you're using uh line that, yeah matches yeah. up with that yeah okay now that makes a lot more sense i was like hmm, interesting i i was always worried about other things with uh catching record fish i don't think i ever would have thought about that but that makes a lot of sense yeah it's an igfa it's something you you know you don't really think about i never thought about it until i was like you know there's this four four pound um test line class record for white perch and we have fish that are as big as that record doesn't mean the fish is four pounds it just means the largest one caught on four pound test right we catch fish like that all the time so i know i can break that record 
And so I happened that, you know, that one, one year, once I got that idea in my head, that's pretty much all I thought about. And so I finally caught one that was bigger and submitted it and the line didn't qualify for four pound tests. So I did not get the record. Most of the time I've had, you know, some state records and stuff and they're, they're all just happenstance. I'm, you know, I just happen to fish and catch one that'll qualify. So I submit it. I'm not a record hunter by any means. Still though, if you, if you know you're regularly catching bass or uh, fish that will break the record, you know, right. it's worth taking a shot at getting your name yep. in the books. So. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Um, all right. So copolymer, um, uh, it kind of, it, it, they sell it as the best of both worlds that, you know, uh, it, uh, I guess, uh, it does have a little bit more line, uh, uh visibility than fluorocarbon. Uh, it's more like mono at that point. Cause basically what it is, it's, fluorocarbon wrapped in, or mono wrapped in fluorocarbon is that right yeah okay that's that's my understanding of it as well so you're gonna have a little bit more line visibility but um i guess uh strength or abrasion resistance might be better yeah uh, so um if you're in the market to try it you can't hurt to try it um are there any other kind of lines that i've misplaced i know tippet is one but I mean, most of, at least, I don't know many people who bass fish, you know, that's more of a fly fishing thing in my mind. Yeah, no, I can't help you with that <clears> one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's a different show. Someday we'll have a, a fly fishing expert on and he'll explain that to me. I know the basics of it, that it's a tapering line and that kind of thing, but uh, yeah. that's, that's about the extent of my, my knowledge about it. But so those are the four that you would think of off the top of your head? Yeah. Yep, for sure. Cool. Um, now, uh, one of the questions I had was, um, do you change knots depending on the different types of line that you're using, or do you relatively use mostly the same knots? This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. No, I... I um... I change knots depending on how lazy I am that day. <laughs> uh, and that's the, it, well, to a degree, uh, depending on how lazy I am and, and what I'm doing. I, so my braid to floral knot, my favorite is the FG knot. Okay. I love that knot. It is a pain in the neck to tie. Um, you know, I've done hundreds of them and every single time I have to do it, I'm like, ah, here we go. It's just, you know, you have to get the tension on your braid just right. can't be too much tension, but it has to be some tension. And it's just, you know, it can be a pain in the neck. And it's time consuming. You know, you have 21 wraps, you know, one line in your teeth, and you're trying to see what you're doing. And my eyesight isn't that good close up anymore. So it's it's not, it's not as much fun. I can tie a double uni knot with my eyes closed. I don't even have to look when I yeah. tie those. If I'm casting, I will I will bite the bullet and tie that FG knot because it goes through the guide's you can't even hear it go through the guides. It right. casts really, really well and smooth and my knots don't get beat up. Well, uni to uni, you can cast it. It'll go through the knot, through the guides. You'll hear it go through the guides, but after, you know, real casting it and reeling it back and forth through the guides after a while, it does get pretty beat up, but vertical jigging, you know, if we're in a hurry and, you know, the lake trout bite or, you know, we're jigging for smallmouth or whatever, and the bite's good, and I need to tie a leader on really quick, and we're not casting. I go right for that double uni knot because it's good and strong, and uh, takes less a lot less time. I can tie it much faster than I can tie an FG knot. And if I if I rush an FG knot, it will pull out. It's just you know I don't know what it is I'm doing when I when I rush it, but you know it will 
either I'll have a tough time getting it to cinch down or it'll pull out on a fish. It'll, you know, I'll think I got broke off and I reel it in and there's, there's my, you know, the FG knot tied in the end of the braid with, with the fluorocarbon just pulled right out of it. So it's, it's not that I have to tie when, when I have time to tie it. So the uni, the uni is a, is a good, you know, it's a, I call it a utility knot. It's a good, strong knot that holds up well, lubricate the knot really well. So it doesn't damage the fluorocarbon and, you know, and, and you should be good for most applications. It's an easy knot to learn. That is the knot that I use for the most part. Occasionally, if I'm tying knots the night before, um, I'll tie a uh, Alberto knot for my uh, leader knot, uh, just because yep. it is smaller. Um, it's not as crazy as the FG knot. I've attempted to try that. I have yet to tie it successfully, um, <laughs> but I've <laughs> I've done uh, a bunch of the uh, Alberto knots successfully. Like I said, I'll, I'll tie that the night before uh, if I'm going out, um, but on the water, I almost always tie a double uni just because I know I can do it. I can do it quick. And for the most part, it lasts. I've had times where eventually the knot did break going through the line or my, on, when I, on my casting rod, especially if you have micro guides, uh, yeah. it, it, it can tend to um, be an issue then. <clears throat> yeah, but, my issues with the FG knot are always pulling it too tight, usually. You know, they teach you, you watch the tutorials and they tell you, you know, you pull tension on the braid and then wrap the floor around that, make your wraps. So I would, you know, I just, I'm a, I'm a more is better kind of guy. If, if a little bit of the tension is good, then even more is probably better. And that's not the case at all with that FG knot. You need to be able to, you want that braid to kind of, um, kind of um, wrap in with the fluorocarbon as you make your wraps. So just enough tension to hold it tight is I found to be the key with that FG knot. So you can get the two wrap, two lines to kind of wrap around, even though you're only wrapping one, it's kind of wrapping the braid in, into the fluorocarbon when you do it. And it should bite down pretty well that way. I always have trouble keeping my wraps from overlapping, you know, yeah, yeah. and that's, that's my biggest challenge with the FG knot for sure. But uh, one of these days I'll, I'll actually take the time to get halfway decent at it. I've watched a million videos I've watched the kind where they say, oh, you got to hold this in your teeth and hold this with this. And one guy's like, oh, no, you you shouldn't have to hold anything in your teeth, you know, do it this way, you know. Yeah. And um, I've tried a lot of different videos. I uh, have yet to find one that helps me tie it successfully. But like I said, the Alberta knot uh, is kind of my standby until I get good at that. Uh, and that seems to work for me for the most part. It does. It's not as small, I don't think, uh, uh, but it is smaller than the double uni. So. Uh, tends to work a little bit better for me on, I use that on the rods that I have micro guides on most everything else. I just tie a, a double union um, cause I know I can do it quickly and yep. you know, for the most part, it's pretty solid and secure. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, so that by the only other question I was going to ask you, um, I know you kind of talked a little bit about it, but, uh, what kind of lines do you, uh, uh what kind of brands do you, do you use most and, um, if you're sponsored by them, that's cool too, whatever, whatever you guys use. Um, so the last couple of years, the last two years, I've, I just, so I, I fished a lot of different lines for a long time. I fished Power Pro for years because it was just kind of a staple in the industry. And I, you know, I, I tried uh, Daiwa Samurai for a while, but um, I found it to be, um, it would fray in the rocks a lot easier. It's such a, it's such a thin and it's really expensive and it's, it's a really good line. It's so with braids, the most basic braids are either four carrier or eight carrier, four strand or eight strand. And a four strand is going to be more of a flat profile. So it's really good for vertical jigging, but not as good for casting. And an eight strand will be round. So it casts, that's what makes it so soft. And so like thread like, is that it's it's round and softer um so i've been going with an eight strand for the last few years and that's what that samurai was the first eight strand braid that i ran but i like i said i just had some trouble with it fraying i do a lot of vertical jigging and, and it would fray in the rocks and stuff so i got away with it but then i was introduced to that daiwa j braid x8 grand it's called and i've had the same line on reels couple of my two of my reels have had the same line for two summers now we're just winding down the second summer and it looks like it's brand new um i love it it's really soft 
Um, I've, I go with the light gray because I can see it, see it pretty well. And um, I've been running the J Floro. I ran, you know, Seaguar for years before that. I got, um, I got a bunch of the uh, J Floro from from Daiwa. So I've been, you know, just running that on everything because I have so much of it, and I've had good luck with it. I haven't had any any issues with it at all. And in through the ice, I like I said, I run all of that um, frost line is from Clam is what I run through the ice just because it's it's good line. It's all IGFA rated, and they have a whole line of monofilaments and fluorocarbons. But like I said, the blue I ran Seagar Blue Label. They came out with a line this year that a friend of mine, a leader material this year. I can't remember what it's called, but a, a friend of mine that's a guide, a charter captain on for stripers has been running it said it's really, really good stuff. So a lot of really good fluorocarbons. Fluorocarbon is the one thing that, or not the one thing, but one of the things in the fishing industry that kind of holds true to that. You get what you pay for. You buy cheap fluoro, you're going to get cheap fluoro. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in the tattoo industry, they say cheap tattoos aren't good and good tattoos aren't cheap. The same thing goes for uh, fluorocarbon. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been, you know, kind of standardized on Seaguar now for a little bit, but I, I will definitely check out the the Daiwa stuff because uh, I'm always looking for, you know, other stuff. I um, have a few large spools of Seaguar, you know, once I decided, you know, that I liked it and it seemed pretty quality stuff. Uh, I, you know, got some of the bigger spools so that I wouldn't have to buy it as often. Um, but um, but definitely I'm always looking for other things to try. So I will check out the J braid, uh, the, uh, Daiwa J, uh, uh, J Floro. Yeah, J Floro and J You can see my, uh, where's my wrong hand. You can see that hanging right there. Is the spool <laughs> J braid. <laughs> nice. So that's my spooling station. <laughs> it's a coat hanger. <laughs> well, and I'm sure if, I mean, if, if you're having to, to put stuff on that clients are using, you're going to figure out what works and what doesn't a little quicker than maybe even somebody who is just a weekend warrior kind of, you know, if it's something that your kind of livelihood depends on. You're going to, you're going to know, want to know what, what works and what doesn't. So. Yeah. And one of the things that I usually recommend to most people is I put a lot of my own line on now, but if, if you can go to a shop that can do machine spooled line and they can spool it for you, I highly recommend that. And if, if cost is an issue, tell them to put, half of your spool to back it up, you know, half the spool with monofilament. And then because you, you put 300 yards of line on a reel and you're only casting 150 feet. I mean, you don't need 300 yards of braid. You don't need to pay because right. most shop will, if they do bulk spools like that and they spool it, they'll charge by the, by the foot or by the yard. And so just tell them, you know, go half monofilament and they'll tie the braid to that. And you'll never see that monofilament until they strip down to re-spool it, you know, whenever you get around to it. So, because it can cost upwards of 30 some odd dollars to fill, you know, a 3000 series spinning reel spool. If you went straight 30 pound braid, it can be 30, $40, depending on the braid and the shop that you go to. So it gets expensive. You know, if you bring six reels in, you leave them there, you know, with a pretty, pretty fat bill that a lot of people don't think about it. They're like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go have my reel, reel spool. And then they're like, that'll be $200, please. And you're like, what? $200? And like, oh, well, you know, we put, you know, 1,500 yards of line on six spools, you know, or whatever it is. So if, if cost is an issue, definitely go have. And the thing with the machine line is that not only is it it's coming off the bulk spool and going onto your spool in, this, in a nice straight way, so you don't get as many line twists right off the bat, but you're only paying for what you put on there as opposed to you buy a 300 yard spool in your line in your spool, a 300 yard spool of line and your, your real spool will only hold 250. You've bought 50 yards of braid that you'll never, you're never going to use that. Everybody sticks it in a drawer thinking, Oh, I'll use that someday. And who's, what do you need 50 yards of braid for craft projects? Right. No, no, for sure. Um, that's, I, that's true. And, and I never thought about that like that. I, but I, I'm sure I have, a couple of spools sitting out in my garage right now that are probably yeah. about 50 yards left, but interesting. <laughs> yep. Cool, man. All right. Well, um, we're about at the hour mark. Um, one thing I was going to ask you, and I'd like to ask all of my guests who are guides, um, any, um, what's the most common mistake you see from your customers? Uh, like just general fishing wise and, and how do you correct that? 
Um, the most common mistake is probably um, not doing what your guide tells you to do. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really good about just demonstrating things and I'll show my clients how to do something and, and you know, I'll look over and they're doing it differently and then I'll show them again and, you know, look over and they're doing it differently. And, and I think a lot of people, they won't, they won't do it and they're afraid to ask, you know, because they, they'll feel stupid or, or whatever, you know, if you're unsure, ask, but, you know, when, when I tell somebody how to vertical jig, for instance, I'm very specific, you know, I'll tell them, you don't, you're not jigging cod. So no eight foot high jigs, no giant jigs. You want to keep it to four foot or less. Now look over and there's six feet, six feet, six feet. And I'll say too much, too much. That's six feet. You want to go four feet, you know, and, and I'll show them this is four feet, you know, your rod is seven feet. So, you know, you can kind of use that as a gauge, you know, what seven feet looks like and go less than that. So definitely, you know, if you've hired a good guide, they, they have that technique dialed in and just, you just do, do what they tell you to do. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that's uh, good advice. So. Some, some guides are tellers though, you know, so I've, I've fished with guides that they just tell you what to do and expect you to understand how they're saying it. You know, that's why I show them. Like I'll, I literally take the rod out of every client's hands when I get them on my boat and say, this is what you want to do. And I show it to them and I give it, it and there, there's always resistance. Like I have to kind of take it away from them. And I'm like, no, I'm going to show you. And I show them. I don't just say, you know, do this this way and expect them to understand you know, what I'm talking about because some of my clients don't even don't fish, you know, except maybe once or twice a year. So I don't know after what I'm talking about, you know, let it flutter down. They're like, how do I let it flutter down? I'm like, well, it's kind of doing it on its own, you know, so I'll show them. So that's, that's the big thing. And if you're ever on a guided trip and, and a guide is trying to explain something to you, best to just, just ask them to show you, show you, show me what you mean. Yep. No, I, I think that's a great, great thing. Cause I I've been on trips before uh, I went on a, a striper trip out of the, uh, the Susquehanna flats one time. And, the guy basically just handed us the rods and said, Hey, uh, you know, he gave us a little bit of like, uh, kind of basic, you know, instruction, but it was literally, and then he went up and was just driving the boat and we're like, okay. And we really struggled. And obviously we didn't go back with that guide again. Um, because it, it just wasn't informative, but, uh, I've had the exact opposite experience too, where, you know, the guide was really, really good and told us exactly what we're doing. He's like, all right, you're going to open the bale, let it drop to the bottom, uh, crank up two cranks. And then this is how you work it when you have it there, you know, and, yep. you know, you know, you can really tell the ones who, who enjoy the teaching aspect of it. And, you know, in addition to, you know, the other aspects of guiding. So. Yeah, for sure. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, man. Well, um, that was a ton of great info. So thanks a ton. Um, wanted to give you an opportunity to, to shout out to folks uh, where they can find you and also uh, any sponsors that you have. Yeah. So I am on most social media channels and you can get to most of those through my website, which is timmoreoutdoors.com. But I'm on, you know, Facebook and Instagram and my YouTube channel. I've been, you know, really putting a lot of efforts into that to try to come up with good content, which is TMO fishing uh, on YouTube. You can just uh, do a YouTube search for that. Um, I'll give a shout out to Daiwa uh, Kittery Trading Post. They, they, I've sent a lot of people to their website recently to buy things that the, the manufacturers don't seem to have, the ones that you can buy direct from, but Kittery will still have a lot of stuff that other manufacturers are out of. They seem to be able to keep a good stock of stuff. And uh, definitely got to give a shout out to Old Town Canoes and Kayaks because I would be nowhere without them <laughs> for sure. They've been a huge help and the kayaks are amazing. So 
Or they definitely you know. have some some cool kayaks, man. I I've definitely I I'm in a Hobie Outback right now, but I I have looked at that autopilot. Uh, you know, I uh, it looks totally like it would work perfect for some of the applications I fish. So. Unbelievable. I love, I'm a vertical jig fanatic and I just put out a second of two, well, a second of either three or four videos um, from last month. One of the marketing people from uh, old town and I went to Lake Champlain jigging for Lakers for four days. And we had like 20 mile an hour winds. Most of the time we were there, which doesn't seem like horrible amount until you get on a lake that's 125 miles long. And you get 20 mile, 15, 20 mile an hour winds will cause, you know, three to four footer rollers. Right. And we, were, we had a two knot current. That's how much wind there was in the lake. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and we were in spot locks. So definitely if you find my YouTube vi vi uh, channel, check those couple of videos out. There were a couple from last year, too. But the ones from this year are just like crazy weather and crazy fishing. And those those things were the different. There were no boats out there. We were the only ones. There were no boats. There's, you know, charter boats all over that lake, and there were no boats around us the whole time we were there. But we were still be able to, to stay out there and fish. So it was actually an advantage over the bigger boats because we could just kind of ride over those swells, and the spot lock held us right there all day long. Pretty cool. That's awesome. No, I'm definitely going to uh, have to check that out for sure. So cool, man. Um, well, thanks again. Um, I am definitely interested uh, about having you back on to talk about tidal fishing. Cause again, that's something, uh, I definitely, uh, it's a topic that I've had requests for and, um, something I know zero about. Um, so if you're down for it sometime, I'll reach back out and, uh, see if we can have a chat about that. Absolutely. Love awesome. It. Cool. Well, thanks again, sir. And, um, Everybody, this has been the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment on the Paddle and Pin Podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Fin. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Fin on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button, and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.